Welcome to Cannabitch on the You Podcast Network. Hosted by Jackie Bryant, Cannabitch is a podcast about cannabis culture. Brought to you in part by March and Ash Dispensary. And now, the Queen of Green, Jackie Bryant. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Cannabitch. This is Jackie Bryant, your host. Today, we're going to talk to uh, Derek Porter. He's the chief of staff of a, a cannabis consulting firm called Gateway Proven Strategies. He's based out of Colorado. And um, their company creates and and maintains and sells uh, surveillance equipment for cannabis companies. Um, for those of you who live in legal states, you may know that, and we discussed this in our last episode with Rachel King of Canico, but um, there are cameras required to be in cannabis uh, processing facilities at, at, in any what are called cannabis access points. Uh, so that means that there's a robust technology and security network that goes into um the, the cannabis industry in general, and also because of safety issues, because people have to keep cash in their facilities often because they don't have access to banking. And the fact that, you know, there is a black market value for this product, that means that, um, you know, security is of the utmost concern. So surveillance is kind of a hot topic issue in cannabis, also in the wider world with with greater government surveillance and, and, and things like that. I thought it would be a good idea to have uh, Derek onto the show to talk about the implications of this technology, how it can be applied outside of the cannabis industry, what it means for the industry, that it is so heavily surveilled, um, and, and some greater existential <laughs> questions that, uh, that that does usually come up with this topic. So uh, let's welcome Derek Dukanovich. I'm honored and very excited to bitch on the Cannabitch with you. Yes. No, thank you. And I appreciate it. And, you know, I realize like my the name Cannabitch is kind of a professional liability for anybody who chooses to align with it. My dad, it's so funny. He's so scandalized by it. So um, I appreciate you willing to smear your professional reputation by coming um, on such a dirty worded podcast. So smeared. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, I have so much I want to talk to you about. Um, you have yeah. such a fascinating background. If you could maybe just uh, give our give our listeners the uh, the short background or, or the long background of who are you? What, what's going on here? Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I can give uh, the fast forward version for sure. So uh, 20 years in security. So interestingly enough, I never thought, even though even uh, as far back as my my high school years, I've always been uh, an advocate, uh, an ambassador to the plant, whether it's on the hemp side or the marijuana side of the fence. I've uh, been a recreational, <clears throat> excuse me, and medicinal user myself uh, for a lot of years. And with the security background out of the, the 20 years there, the last nine years com coming around the, a decade were actually uh, very focused on cannabis, um, was very fortunate and very successful to be on the ancillary side of the fence, providing the, the regulated systems integration services that are needed for cannabis, whether it's your grow, your, your uh, infused processing center, your dispensary, whatever, uh, the cameras, the guards, the background checks, and then even in the license procurement phase, you know, with the narratives and so forth, the security overlays. So I was very fortunate in that area. And then after a few years, we started getting offerings from public companies uh, for a buyout. Uh, when we got heavy into the remote video surveillance space, uh, I went through my first uh, transaction, my, my first buyout. I had uh, five other partners, uh, but we did incredibly well. And with that uh, first exit, it afforded me the opportunity to really diversify in the space and actually make multiple investments 
uh, into different areas in, in cannabis. Again, both on the hemp and the marijuana side of the fence. Uh, from there, started another security consulting company, and that was just recently purchased by my new baby, uh, Gateway Proven Strategies, um, which actually that was just announced on Monday, that acquisition. And uh, Congratulations. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Um, I've always wanted to, in addition to getting into some other health and wellness areas uh, within the space, like with Dynamic Warriors, which is a veteran-owned and operated uh, CBD company that, uh, that I'm the principal investor in, I've always wanted to be a part of or start my own comprehensive consulting company in the, in the industry, really help out other entrepreneurs, uh, really help uh, the industry to, to thrive uh, to the best of my ability, but of course, still try to not just be an ambassador to the crop, but uh, uh, try to stay on that, that highly lucrative side of the fence. Uh, and with uh, the aid of a consulting company, you know, helping people to penetrate the space and so forth, uh, I was talked into investing and becoming a, a partner in that. And uh, again, that that entity has purchased cannabis security experts. And now here I sit. I feel like I'm at the at the at the at mecca in in many respects, you know, metaphorically, literally, um, within the industry. And can't wait to climb out of 2020. But uh, we're really hooking and jabbing. So that's kind of my my really down and dirty 10,000 foot view of my background. That's that's fascinating. And and I, I would like to hear a little bit more about the intersection between your military background and, and how that kind of yeah. dovetails with cannabis. I've written a bit about veterans and PTSD and cannabis use and cannabis treatment. Um, and, and, and I know everyone's always really curious on that topic, but I'm also especially curious um, how your military background and your surveillance work kind of dovetails i assume they have a lot to do with one another and one informs the 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 other quite a bit so i definitely want to dig into that but how did you get away with being with smoking weed and then getting into the military how did that all happen you you, it's it's this really complicated thing 30 days before the drug test you have to stop smoking weed it's terrible Okay. But even 30 days, will that do it? Cause like I've always managed, it's so weird. I used to, I used to work in finance and for whatever reason, I always worked at firms and we're talking like big firms in New York that like you assumed would drug test people and they never did. So I kind of like always got around it, but I always like kind of felt I was like one step ahead of the game and really lucky. So you would stop smoking 30 days before a drug test. And that always worked. Uh, well, let me let me say it a little bit differently. Yes, it worked when I initially went in. Throughout my time, <laughs> except for one stint where I had a thirty-day leave, it was more it's more like a forty-six-day leave. That's good. Uh, that was the those are the only periods while I was in the military where I was recreationally using at all whatsoever. Uh, so that was that four-year stint. But I was even in a private military where they did not drug test us. Um, that was a, also a very, very brief stint. That was far fewer than four years. Uh, but it's interesting you mentioned the, uh, the, I like how you put that, the intersection. It's an intersection with a very interesting transitional period because being a veteran aligned in so many areas uh, within the industry, especially if you're a combat veteran, uh, when you get out, you may struggle with uh, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, which the version that I had was actually, uh, or the version I should say I still have, albeit very tamed, is uh, extreme hypervigilance disorder. So just being, you know, highly on guard, which is which is fin- fantastic for the security industry, 
uh, makes you really good at your job, but it's also highly enabling and, and can really uh, turn into a lot of stress. So marijuana, CBD, all, all these different avenues kind of, you know, align in the, in the synergistic way to include the, the need for security within the space. I mean, it, it, it being regulated and, you know, trying to provide good operators and good systems within the industry uh, to protect the people and the assets. At the end of the day, it became a life and death. I mean, we've even heard of, sadly, tragically, we've, we've had uh, not under one of my roofs or under one of my shingles, but there's been guards in the space that, you know, during daylight hours, during business hours and dispensaries where tragically there's been a robbery and uh, there was a gunfight and uh, the guard died. Um, but uh, anyways, digressing from that, yeah, all, all the way into the realm of therapeutic writing, I released a, a book called Conquering Mental Fatigues. Uh, and I even dabble in that, uh, talking about uh, how marijuana is definitely uh, a helpful aid in, in subsiding a, a lot of that uh, vigilance. So a lot of different alignments from, yeah, my, my military background in correlation with cannabis. I guess I kind of want to start with... Um why the need for heavy surveillance and security in the cannabis industry? I know um, a lot of people in the industry, obviously, um, are pretty aware of that. But for the average person who's just smoking weed and going in and buying and going home and eating a few edibles, um, they probably don't really know why security is of, of, of paramount importance. So maybe you can explain the landscape and maybe some of the laws that, that, that put this in place. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. So in the, the initial spectrum, so we, we've got the regulations in, in virtually every state that has any sort of advancements, uh, uh, medicinal or recreational, right, for marijuana, um, except for Oklahoma. For whatever reason, Oklahoma is so relaxed. Uh, this keeps coming up <laughs> in my, yeah, in my yeah. conversations. We're all just like, what's up with Oklahoma? This is amazing. So yeah, glad you yeah, mentioned well, that. I, and, and great for them. There's a lot of freedom there, but there are literally no uh, security regulations. So you don't have to have an alarm system or cameras or a variety of other things, which, okay, I would, I would definitely recommend a clientele to be proactive with that. Uh, but then there's some places that get overly strict. Canada, Pennsylvania is actually a really good example to get incredibly strict in those areas, but it's a regulation. It's a need where the, the amazing and, and in my space, the innovative aspect behind it was remote video surveillance. So think of remote guarding, right? Somebody on the other end, not on site watching the cameras. Um, that it's, it's not a new concept by any means, especially in the last 15 or so years, it's made a lot of advancements. However, no one was really pioneering that remote video surveillance in cannabis. Uh, so there was a major need there. How come nobody was pioneering that? Did, was it just an overlooked thing? And, and, and can you explain the concept um, of, of remote surveillance yes. and, and, and what it really means, like nuts to bolts, totally. um, like who's watching it? Where is it stored? Where is it going? Um, yes. What's really the function of it? And, and is it required to have this? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so with regards to that, I, I don't think that anyone was really pioneering it. One, uh, they did they knew about surveillance. They, they knew about remote video surveillance. They didn't know enough about cannabis uh, or vice versa. They were just in an area that's more of the physical security realm, um, which, you know, let's call it your, your guards, which can be lucrative, although the, the margins are pretty skinny. It has to be economies of scale. 
um, where the big win was. So I, I think I was just uniquely situated and I thought I, I had a very unique opportunity. So the multiple wins with remote video surveillance, and I'm going to try not to sell like, or excuse me, sound like a salesperson here because it's a really a big deal for protecting life and, and protecting assets. So with that at, at heart of mind, it's also cost effective. You're trying to save money across the board. The guard space is terribly competitive. When you go remote video surveillance, especially at night, especially for facilities that are well fortified and there's no one there at night, lock the place down and take the human elements out. Even if there's a break-in, fine. Uh, if you have appropriate insurance or at the very least, just making sure no one is there, then 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 it's fine. So you, so you write off those assets that you may have lost. No one was hurt to include the security guard because there's not a security guard there. It's statistically comparable to having a physical guard on site. We have these cameras watched with the power of very, uh, very expensive, very powerful software, but with the power of algorithms at the end of the day is what it really comes down to. Algorithms rule our whole world. If you sat at a traffic light today, or if you use Google today, or if you listen to music today, there were algorithms that were involved. Uh, with that being said, in surveillance, they're incredibly powerful in the sense that they can see, uh, gosh, thousands of times better and see more on more cameras than a human being. So with that being said, oh, not to mention one of the best parts. Uh, are you familiar with 280E, the tax law? Yeah, I'm very familiar with it. Um, but maybe okay. you could describe a little bit about it because yeah. I'm sure there are many people listening who uh, are not. A very, yeah, very quick elaboration. That wonderful, beautiful tax and law that we all love where so you can't very write much. Off anything. It doesn't matter if you're selling heroin or marijuana or whatever. I mean, you probably shouldn't be selling heroin. But... Uh, you can't, <laughs> you, there are very few things that you can write off, mainly the only cogs that are there. And that's because they're controlled substances, federally classified as controlled substances, correct? Yeah, uh, correct. Well, yes, there's a variety of other, in, in my opinion, right. there's reasons why that law exists. It's because Ooh, even if you're doing do tell. Illegal, <laughs> yeah, so even if you're doing something illegal, Uncle Sam wants his share. That's my opinion. Um, you know, like, no doubt, you know, I, I agree. At the end of the day, even Al Capone ultimately went to prison for tax evasion. It just goes to show you, like, never mind, you know, the, the amount of people that were killed and all that. Anyways. So yeah, no, racketeering is always, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way they can nab them. If you have a uh, any form of or almost any form of inventory control is considered a cost of goods sold, which is a write-off. It's either partially or wholly a write-off. Uh, and believe me, I'm not I, I'm not a hardcore expert on this. I actually had to have a, a cannabis tax accountant or excuse me, uh, tax uh, lawyer explain this to me. And he gave me that aha moment and surveillance. Yeah, it's incredibly opaque. I know. Right. Surveillance looking uh, whether it's looking at the grow rooms, the entry to the grow, uh, grow rooms, what have you. It's a form of inventory control. So so to put it more bluntly. It is mostly a write-off. In fact, when we were really kicking a whole lot of ass right before I sold the company, uh, it was something like 85% of our clients wrote off 100% of the cost. But even to the cost, it's far less than having guards on site, which means, so now we're charging less, but because it's an economy to scale model, it's not just one surveillance operator with a very powerful server watching one site one surveillance operator can actually watch about 10 different sites. So you think of how lucrative that becomes for us, how cost effective it becomes for our end users, in addition to 
being statistically comparable to having guards anyways, in addition to being a 280 E write-off. So right. just multiple wins across the board. It made a ton of sense. That makes sense. And and it and it can be considered more effective from an actual like actionable security standpoint because I assume something within these systems is directly connected to law enforcement. Um, so are are the police able to be yep. called at the drop of a hat? How does that work? You bet. Yeah. So even more proactive than a typical alarm where when alarm trips, it automatically connects with a central station monitoring unit and cops are dispatched. Well, a lot of times those are false alarms. In fact, 99% of all alarms that are where law enforcement is dispatched, they are completely false. So imagine heard this. And it's a two strikes you're out program too. You have to reissue a permit, which you have to pay for after they come to two false alarms. Most law enforcement, they stop responding unless a permit is reissued. That's how they justify their expenses to arrive to a facility where there might be a break-in. And it's actually you being irresponsible with your alarm. You accidentally tripped it or the wind vibrated a window or whatever the case, right? So with that being said, we have uh, what we call a SOC, a uh, surveillance operations center, uh, which is where all the action happens. You got the, the NORAD style wall of screens and your heavy lifting servers and your surveillance operator, uh, excuse me, operators that are watching multiple sites. Uh, and from there, there is a very strict list of procedures. It's usually based on events. You have tiers one through four events, which I won't get into. But ultimately, you can verify. Wait, why can't we get into them? Are uh, they because interesting? It's, because it's technical <laughs> and boring, and I don't want to. I don't want to piss off or bore your cannabis listeners. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, but, I'm, uh, I'm a little. I'm a little curious. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little curious what trips off the various tiers. Like, <laughs> and and is this something that um you know are you looking for? Or just outside um, activity, activity, or are you watching? You're watching the employees as well, right? If they want to opt into that, yeah. So there's additional, uh, let's call them, you know, your your plans B and C services, your different tiers of surveillance that are there. But with uh, to satisfy some of your curiosity with the tiers of events, um, you know, there can be let's call it a tier two, which is more internal. Um, that that uh, su- we submit reports ultimately that goes to the owners or third key managers or, or whomever is designated before uh, when the account is set up. But then there's tier three uh, to where there's potential break-ins, okay, or or surreptitious activity, and then there's tier four where it's an all-out uh, break-in, uh, and usually tiers three and four definitely warrants a law enforcement response. But law enforcement also responds differently. Think about it. Most law enforcement, if they're responding to a false alarm, uh, which they know 99% of which are false, they're not exactly in a major hurry. Yeah, they might be lights and sirens and so forth, but they know it's a good chance it's going to be false. It's different when our operators are connecting with dispatch, letting them know, like, no, a van pulled up and a bunch of people wearing ski masks hopped out and they're busting the windows and they're, they're crowbarring the door open right now. Law enforcement response incredibly different to something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we there's these different services where we get to run plates and all that kind of jazz. So there's a it's very comprehensive and it's been proven to work incredibly well and saves lives. It does save lives. What about some of the problems? What are some of the problems it creates? Because I imagine 
Internally. I imagine there are issues with everything being recorded at every step of the way. You can imagine that this would be controversial for some people to kind of like exist right, in and, so, and, and wonder really what the limits of this are. Like, like yeah. I'm thinking about, you know, thinking about this command center that you're talking about. Um, who are these people who are working in it? Where does the footage go? Where is it stored? Uh, why would anyone trust you to handle this footage? Uh, what are your safeguards against, against letting this out? And, and, and and how can people know that their footage is just going to be used to monitor, you know, their own internal security things rather than being used for any other purpose? Certainly. Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, at the end of the day, whenever whoever's paying the bill, whoever's setting up the account, we're only going to designate very specific access to specific people, oftentimes only one individual. Remember this, too. This is always kind of an aha moment with a lot of owner operators that are considering opting into a service like this. Um, everything's recorded anyways, unless it's Oklahoma. Um, and it's got to be on a DVR anyways. Right. Um, so, so, so in California, I know this law the best, just quickly, sorry to interrupt you, but California, like, you know, you have to have everything um, surveilled, you know, at a cannabis access point. Is that similar in Colorado? Is it, is it kind of the same structure? Like, how does this work yeah. really across the national landscape? Yeah, across the national, like, good, good way to phrase it. Yes. Yeah. So in general, comprehensively, there's always what we call a head end. So like a security end, whereas there's junctions for all the cameras they're ultimately terminated and networked into a DVR NVR system, right? That is that always most of the time again, except Oklahoma has to be protected with a lockbox. It usually has to be in a separate room, uh, so on and so forth. So that's how it works, kind of uh, at the national level. And then it's it's different all over the place. I mean, even Colorado, for example, Aurora, uh, their on-site and off-site video backup regs are different than Denver, which Denver only has the on-site video backup, and it's far less days. Um, And then you have your uh, state-to-state sanctions and regulations and so forth. So it's really different across the board. And then as far as the trust factor goes, well, you know, anyone that's designated by the owners can view this footage internally anyways, really where it comes into play, not, not to mention we thoroughly screen everyone. They go through specialized training. Most of the time, everyone we hired already had a ton of surveillance experience. So they're, they're squeaky clean from a background check standpoint. So there's, there's a ton of trust there, not to mention everything is uh, tightly controlled. We have our own customized encrypted cloud as well um, uh, and to include encrypted servers. So we're not worried about hackers or, or anything in that sense. Um, and from there, I would say the biggest challenge is uh, entry-level employees in these very, really, dispensaries and grows all the way up to your, let's call it your third key managers, because they know that at the end of the day, Big Brother is watching. But that also solves another problem where a lot of shrinkage, as, we, as people like to put it in the retail markets, most of it is internal. So that deters it anyways. So it's still a win to keeping everyone honest. The owners, nine times out of 10, 100% love it. They're not just doing it because they feel it's a necessary evil. But now everyone knows, uh, you know, down to your bud tenders, your trimmers, so on and so forth, that, uh, again, somebody else is watching at all times. Uh, Nothing skips a beat. It's all recorded. They know it's recorded anyways. 
Right. But now they know there's specific eyes on and they're looking for things like internal shrinkage. Right. I'm, I'm interested that you um, called it um, a necessary evil from an operator standpoint. Um, yeah. I tend to agree yeah. <laughs> right off the top. I'll, I'll say that much. Why, why would they view it as a necessary evil and, and not more, you know, where, where's that evil coming in? I, I, I'm, I'm really curious to know, like, why, what your take on that is. Like, what is, what's the evil side of surveillance? The evil side of surveillance is that it sucks that people have to be watching general. I don't like it either. Um, you know, I, I don't even like, uh, I, I don't like the fact that I can be watched virtually anywhere out in public other than in, you know, bathrooms and, and such. Um, I like, you know, I, I love the freedom of privacy. However, so that's where the, the evil comes into play. But at the end of the day, it really does come down to saving lives first. And then a distant second is saving property, just maintaining assets and, and making sure that uh, clients are losing those assets. Right. Do you think that, um, so, so I, I, my understanding is that the level of surveillance used in the cannabis industry compared to, um, other industries with intoxicants, let's call it alcohol. Alcohol is the one I love to compare it to the most or legal pharmaceuticals. I, I, you know, I don't know as much about legal pharmaceuticals. I do know a lot about alcohol and it is my understanding that these industries do not even remotely have this level of surveillance, um, and oversight. Um, I'd like to talk to you. Yeah. I'd like talk to you about why that is um um, i'm sure there's also like a property imperative there and the stuff that 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 cannabis uh, as a a tangible black market asset has something to do with it um but i'm wondering if the it's also separately if the cannabis industry and the level of surveillance that we have in it now is setting a dangerous precedent for the rest of operations in society and not just, you know, protectable assets like actual cannabis flower or product or something like that. But if we create a culture of surveillance in this industry that is is so robust and so, um, I don't know if overarching is the right word, that might be my opinion of it personally, but, you know, there, there are arguments to be made um, that is just uh, robust. Let's call it robust. Um, yeah. If we're if we're doing this, I'm wondering, um, can this be extrapolated to other industries and other aspects of everyday life? And is is there a danger there that we're kind of wading right into voluntarily? Let's, <laughs> let's touch, yeah, let's touch on all those points. So with like the, you mentioned big pharma, right? So they, they have different types of regulations. It's not necessarily uh, oriented around a lot of surveillance, but they do have things comparable to what I guess you could consider vault rooms would be in cannabis. They, you know, sure. they quarantine cages, right? Right. Uh, and there's a lot of checks and balances there. Um, uh, with alcohol, to to my knowledge, what little I know about that that side of the industry. Um, there not is a whole lot, very little. Yeah. I've been to distill it. Like even just little distilleries. I mean, it's not, you could do whatever the hell you want in there. I don't, yeah, I don't I'm not yeah. seeing, I'm not seeing cameras other than like a security camera. It's certainly not something that's being turned over to a government agency, like in California where it's turned over to the BCC. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think, uh, we're, uh, that's a good point where the, the, the genesis or the conception of the heavy security regs that started in the industry state by state, of course. Yeah, like why? Like the why can't it? it's still federally illegal, the fact that it's still got, uh, you know, it's still scheduled, and the fact that it has huge uh, street value. I, right. I think that that was kind of the, the catalyst mm-hmm. uh, that, that really kicked it all off. 
Um, at least that's what makes sense to me. I, 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 but, but let me touch on some other areas. Surveillance is really taking over and taking over in the sense that it's there and you don't know it's there all over the place. Um, you don't just think of it about security and now it's not even sold as just a, as a security component. It's sold as a data component. Um, actually, right before I sold uh, the first company, uh, we were actually about to partner with a couple of different data companies where things would be implemented at a point of sales because algorithms know how to count really well. Um, they know how to size up demographics really well. They can give you all sorts of marketing data that's very relevant. I'll give you a direct example that's outside of cannabis, mainly because these are the only uh, large institutions that can afford and implement this on a really robust scale. Walmart, for example, they have openly admitted this. You can fact check me. Uh, in most of the super centers, okay, not only is an algorithm watching every single person, in a lot of strategic aisles, the cameras and the algorithms implemented there actually have retina tracking. They're actually watching where your eyes look, and it is surely for advertising purposes because they want to put signage. Think about it. They want to put signage, oh, the cereal aisle, for example. Yeah. They have to market to the kids first, and then the kids tell the parents what they want. So they watch where kids watch. They look at it as all analytical data in, in sheets and so forth. They're not necessarily watching the footage because there's way too much footage for even hundreds of people to watch. So the algorithms, by way of software, spit out hordes of this information to show hotspots. And then advertising and product placement is completely reoriented based on that data. It also applies to cannabis. It applies okay. to but with, but with cannabis, like not to be overly simplistic about it, but it's weed. People are going to sure. buy what they're going to buy or what they want. And at the end of the day, whether you're eating it or vaporizing it or smoking it or rubbing it on your body, we're all going after kind of the same effect, right? So do we even need that level of market data? Isn't it a bit overkill? You know what? That makes sense until you look at the number of companies point of sale now that are implementing this data, but also look at the ones, you know, like before Cannabase was bought mm -hmm. and then headset, look at headset and look yeah. at new frontier data. I know, and uh, I use headset all the time, and I'm, I'm grateful that data exists from a journalistic perspective. It helps me a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and when you look at their, their larger packages, I'm not trying to promote headset, but when not you sure. look at the, the comprehensive packages that they have that look at things regional, you know, the stuff you have may not be selling, you know, let's call it your, your sour diesel, may not be selling as, as well uh, as it is with the operation that's just a few blocks down the street. Well, why is that? You look at the data and you adjust accordingly. It ultimately, and we, we see it everywhere. There's so many different operations subscribing to it because it will increase sales. It's just getting right. down to the granular level of marketing and surveillance ties into that. Yeah, no kidding. So are there, are there companies that can invest in that level of analysis and surveillance, like the retina stuff or? Um, it's coming. It's coming along quick. Interesting. Do you, do you work with headset? Do you sell data to headset? I no 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 we do so we do not have a partnership with headset Cy Scott I know yeah, the the founder and CEO know him really well him and I have actually had some joint interviews uh, together ironically when when headset was in their infancy startup mode like 2014 
but and and that's just one of several companies we know frontier new frontier data uh as well sure. so but it's it is happening the the hard part is first you you need a lot more sales in the surveillance space which is something that gps is actually going to be offering we kick off that marketing campaign uh in the new year we have a, a solidified partner for that which we connect to and we offer it at a massively discounted rate to to cannabis and all our clients um, we're going to be subscribing it to anyone from an incubator standpoint that we invest in as well. Like you have to do it. It makes too much sense. It reduces insurance. It's a write-off. It's this, it's that it's market data, but we're always looking for new areas to foundationally implement backend APIs, so on and so forth to marry up all of that data, but also make it useful to our end users. There's these, these owner operators, these licensees. Uh, so they can make good sense of it and pivot and uh, get good ROI from their data subscription and increase their sales. So obviously, a lot of people know that you're sitting on a lot of footage, a lot of data, right? Sure. I'm sure you have lots of people asking you for it and about it. Um, what is your relationship with law enforcement? Are they ever asking you for stuff? Um, is there imperative to work with them ever? Um, and And how much of that you know, how much of that are you interested in willing and do it, willing to do? Yeah. yeah. So we'll participate with law enforcement when there's, you know, a suspect or assailant or, or something like that, or, but really law enforcement already knows to go straight to the source because remember the lock boxes, the DVRs, the MVRs, right. that footage is there right already. And, they know and they're that. actually by way of regulation, uh, these owner operators, the licensees, by request have to uh, surrender that footage. So that has to be done anyways. We'll certainly cooperate, but that's not their first prompt. Uh, the cops don't don't initially ping us and ask. Because they know they don't need to. That's basically uh, it. they don't need to. We're we're really it's a, you know it's a middleman scenario. Why not just go straight to the source? They gotta go investigate a crime scene anyways. Why not just yank the footage? Right. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And so and, and in terms of security of that footage, um, what do you do to make sure that that stuff is locked up? Yeah, so so all of that data. Now and how expensive is that? <laughs> I I wouldn't say that there's people looking to buy because remember a lot of this is raw. It, it's it's just raw video footage. We'll only keep it as long um, as needed by way of the subscription of the service. Uh, it's not resold. None of that footage is resold. And then and then with regards to the security of it, again, it's. It comes down to the simple aspects of just having good, you know, if you could break into these security offices, it doesn't mean that even right. if you yank the, 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 which by the way, there's armed personnel everywhere in these offices. So it's not a good idea to break into them anyways. These are access controlled <laughs> buildings anyways. But yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't far, break into your plugs trap house, right? Don't break into yeah, a legal cannabis exactly. facility, but, kids, for you, everyone who's listening. <laughs> right, right, right. Um but even if you yanked, uh, you know, ran out of there, it, you'd have to put in the back of a truck. These servers are so large. Right. You're not going to, you know, you could literally crack open to it. I mean, we're talking hard drives. They're encrypted hard drives. You'd have to be a hacker. You have to really know what you're doing to crack into these things. So right. definitely, I would say you're better off just trying to rob banks. You'd be far. Okay, fair enough. That's a good suggestion. I, I yeah. appreciate I appreciate that inside with, track. Yeah, um, what do you what do you do with all the surveillance uh, footage once you have it? It's like uh, it's a good question, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I think 
that's the question everyone always wants to know. That's interesting. So do you do you guys analyze and extrapolate data yourselves? Is that an ability no. that you have or an interest that you have? We do at a minimal level, but only for security purposes. It really comes out. The data uh, comes in conjunction with partnerships, which there's there's two that we're in talks with. Uh, with regards to implementing that through other back-end point-of-sale systems, so on and so forth, so that it circles around and is presented through a user interface uh, for owner-operators. So we're really just kind of providing, we're sourcing one of the few foundational elements that are needed to extrapolate data, and that's, that's surveillance footage. Okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah. So, so your time in the military, were you involved in surveillance um, while you were still no. in the military? No, you no, weren't at all. No, I became a, a techie for sure. So my, my military experience along with a tech background uh, was definitely hugely helpful and definitely pushed me into the, onto the techie side of, of security, but still very much on the physical space. Now I'm a 0311 and a 8152. So in the Marine Corps language, I was going to say, I have no idea what that means. Right? Yeah, no, I was, I'm an infantryman and, and uh, a special, I was in a special operations unit called FAST, our fleet anti-terrorism security team. So no, nothing, nothing geeky at all. And what, were, were, I hear anti-terrorism and I do immediately think surveillance and tech. Were there any, um, have you pulled any of your inspiration from anything you worked with or may have seen when you were in the military? I wouldn't say so. No, it's really, again, I keep it fundamental and I keep it principle. The fundamental being it's, it's all about protecting people. Uh, if you can make a living doing it, fantastic. But, um, I know it's hard to measure this data. There's really no metric for it to, to measure how many break-ins did we really deter or lives lost? Did we really deter? But I know that we're saving lives to include even the potential security guards life. So there's a, you know, the, the duty to want to be, like I said, be about being a good steward to cannabis and being an ambassador. Well, I have a skill set in, in, in protection. So if I can provide that uh, and make a living in the industry and still be a good advocate and a good steward, then absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. And so um, how... I mean, how how well does this um, this technology work, and and how has it thwarted deaths or robberies or other other types of crime? Um, do you have stats and data um, versus you know using just physical security guards on the ground or just your standard issue um, video surveillance? Um, how how are you how are you guys really adding value in this space for your clients? Right. So it's it's definitely, well, the value, again, remember that 280 right off. And I mean, it just makes it makes so much sense across the board. It alleviates so many uh, uh, false alarm. It alleviates the, the owners being woken up at two in the morning because the alarm was tripped again. The central station. Uh, oh, we got dogs. Sorry. <laughs> oh, it's OK. Neighborhood dogs are yelling. <laughs> I had to kick mine out. We do have our own data, but it's for our internal usage uh, because again it's hard to you know let's 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 take for example the van or the car that pulled up that might have individuals inside that might could actually try to break in well the loudspeakers that we attach to the building once the surveillance operator gets on the horn and, and hits a button for the the barking dog sound like the one you just heard at, at your place there uh, or sounds a siren or literally says you're being watched now, law enforcement, that immediately deters thing. Who's to say that if there wasn't, let's say, cultivators in there, let's say some growers in this building, who's to say 
that you didn't just save their lives. We don't, we don't know because we deterred it entirely. We don't even know if the people that were about to break in had weapons or not. So right. we have some data, but it's, uh, I would say, like I said, there's no real good metric to measure it. It's all speculative data that we just look at like, oh, okay, there's another one, there's another one, there's another one. And we show some examples to potential clients, of course. Um, you know, it's hard to say like how many, how many lives has a seatbelt actually saved? Well, we're not exactly sure because those lives were saved and who's to say that they would have died had they had their belt on or not. It's really, True. Hard but we have, we have round stats for, you know, we have sort of overarching numbers, but so, so what you're saying sure. is, is, is if you're marketing to a client and you're talking to a client, you're kind of painting more of a picture rather than relying on hard data because it's a bit of an abstract. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. There, there's some good data that the FBI produces with regards to surveillance um, and how it's helpful across the board in different industries, different scenarios and so forth. It is still somewhat speculative. That's not where the real sell comes, to be honest. Really what they want to hear is, well, we, we have, for example, our first big client, they spent $1.1 a year on guards. When we climbed aboard, they spent 380000 when they replaced almost all the guards. Wow. They were able to provide health care for their over 300 right. employees when that overhead was reduced. Then the implementation of the 280 write-off, I think they were able to write off like 70 or 80% of everything. And they're not um, paying a salary. Pay. They're not paying benefits on those guards, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not. They're not contracting that out. Um, there's. There's so many. Oh, the internal shrinkage. Like there, there's always going to be some bad apples here and there. I realize sure. mob paw operations. There's a lot. It's more trustworthy. A lot of times, family oriented. But when you get to like you know the cure leaf size and the live sure. well size and so forth, like there's going to be the occasional bad apple. It, they. The ultimately the people that are signing the check and, and protecting their investment, they love, it's just like putting locks on the door. They love knowing that uh, it's a good proactive security measure and that big brother is watching. It probably deters all kinds of internal shrinkage. Right. Do you and it's think done, it's, it's a common practice in retail across the board? Right. Yes, of course. Do you do you think that that feeling that Big Brother is watching as a comfort to some people is because they lack an understanding of the full depth of the amount that they're being surveilled? That's personally a feeling that I have. I kind of feel that people feel enveloped by this and safe by this. But if they really knew the extent of it, they would actually be freaked out. And I'm wondering what you think about that. I would say if I was able to explain it, which I guess I have a chance right now, right? Do it. Yeah, this is what we are here for. Go nuts. This is not, this is not formal at all. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the opposite of that. No, it's it's definitely not a, uh, it's not a scary thing at all. And then I should have explained this a little bit better. Most of the time, no one's watching you. An algorithm is. This is a program. It doesn't right. care if you pick your nose. It doesn't care if you scratch your ass or adjust your bra. Okay. What it will recognize if you're is if you're in an area that you're not supposed to be in, um, if you have taken objects from areas where those objects were not supposed to be taken, and then it sets off alerts, and then it, it connects to a human being, the surveillance operator, to check for false positives. Was that all, all the way down to the exterior footage? Uh, when someone shows up during the hours where everything is locked down and the gates are locked, now someone's inside the gate. Well, is that is that the cultivator getting an early start on harvest? Is that the mm -hmm. trimmers coming in to get an early start on that? Or is this somebody completely unknown and they're jiggling doors around? 
Again, it's all about safety, security. Most of the footage is not being watched by human beings. It's just programs. Right. Yeah. And so, and and I guess like the question, you know, I just asked like, you know, should people be thinking more about this or is this, you know, more of a a threat to their personal freedom than we thought? Um, I keep coming back to how the cannabis industry and the surveillance in the cannabis industry could be a model for other industries. Have you found that at all? Have you found people saying, hey, you guys are doing a lot of this. Maybe I want this in whatever my industry is. How how is cannabis acting as a cannabis surveillance um, acting as a model for surveillance in other arenas and industries. Yeah, absolutely. And and you hit on a good point. It's not, uh, you, you mentioned something protecting the freedoms. That's exactly what it's doing. It's, it's not infringing on freedoms. It is absolutely uh, protecting freedoms. Um, it's, it's protecting, it's protecting life. And then from there uh, to another, another point, another question that you had, yes, we've actually gotten some interest. We focus on cannabis because I believe on, you know, the laser, laser focus of specific industries that we enjoy working in and we're highly networked in. Uh, but we have gotten some outreach from automotive, uh, a lot of auto dealerships that don't want to continue employing guards other guards fall asleep at night. They got acreage of property with cars. A lot of times it's just vandals that they're dealing with. Surveillance is an incredible, remote video surveillance is an incredible solution for that. Um, various different attributes. And now again, we're getting it in different industries, but now for the most part, what I think is actually really exciting is it's, you have to look at it. Don't think of the video as watching you think of it as it's, it's another tool. It's video to pull information, to pull data. Again, coming down to the sales, it sounds a little crazy sci-fi, almost dystopian. I wouldn't say it's dystopian. It does sound dystopian to me. I'm not gonna lie. The retina watching, yeah, that kind of weirds people out. But I'm a little bit like, at what point do I have a right to just fucking look at something, Jesus Christ, without being um, surveilled or evaluated or pulled into a stat? And I realize this happens in all facets of our life, but we're not necessarily buying into that. Like, at what point does it does it infringe on people's rights? And I understand that we're talking about this in like, you know, we're in a factory setting where you agree to work there at processing center, et cetera, but just in general and how we can extrapolate it to other industries. Um, and just like philosophically, like at what point do you have a right to just exist and, and make actions and physical moves and do this versus, um, you do yeah, like, like, where's else. the line? Where Philosophically, like, where is the line? And is I, that something that you think about? And is that something that you, that you guys discuss in your various ventures and at your companies? Yeah, I would say you do have the right, as, as, but, but not the moment you step on somebody else's private property, the game changes. But so I really don't think of it. You could you could certainly argue that, but I don't think of it the way that you're thinking of it. I, nor, nor do I think that the, the doctor, when, when, when he has to check my private parts to assess my health, I don't think he's a pervert. You know what I mean? Right. So there's nothing sinister or surreptitious going on there. So you, you, you can't really, I guess you have to stay 
away from that side of the fence and looking at it as, as something negative. It's something very, it's very positive. It's, I think of it as protecting those freedoms. Totally. And I can see, um, and, 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 you know, thanks for indulging me. I just find these like larger questions very interesting. And like, I, I can see a point, especially within the cannabis business and also knowing how we're trying to contail like a curtail, like a big black market. Um, I can see how, there are there are positive benefits. I th- I think wh- where I worry how it gets out of control is is when it does scale up and scales out to other industries, and then it becomes sort of a question of you know, no longer is everybody doing this for altruistic purposes. They're looking at it for larger purposes. And I guess like I I do feel I I do feel attacked by like marketing in every aspect of our lives. Like just signing into my Gmail and them knowing exactly what kind of, you know, underwear I want to buy. It's like, oh my God. And they're yeah. right. And 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 that's all surveillance, right? So I guess I'm just wondering, you know, the ethical and philosophic re- uh, philosophical responsibility um, the cannabis industry has in um, becoming kind of a pioneer of this technology and the surveillance culture and 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 what people in the space plan on doing about it to make sure that our rights and our personal liberties are protected before we become like a model for Big Brother for the rest of, you know, the uh, the, uh, the the digitized yeah. world. I think you could just say, I'll surrender this. I think that bait will, that, excuse me, that debate will always continue. You actually nailed on a good point. You know, like when you sign into Google or, so even when I use my Google app on my phone, I actually, only because the app works better, I've learned. I used to disable all of my location services, and it was becoming a huge pain in the ass because I couldn't just type in, like, you know, liquor store. Right. Uh, or liquor store near me. Uh, it was, Then it would say, well, where the hell are you? I don't know. Well, that uh, means we're forced to buy in, though. Doesn't that bother you that you're, like, forced to buy in, though, that you're, like, forced to consume? Guess, it does work better. Because I'm, I guess not because <laughs> I'm not up to anything. I'm not up to anything uh, uh, negative or, or sinister. So I, I just I guess I just don't mind if they probe. Well, not to mention. But what about the second you are? Like, not all of us are just hanging around. And being Jackie. totally innocent and Let me ask you, what are you up to? Why are you so scared? <laughs> I mean, I'm never doing you're good really, shit. You're really <laughs> emphasizing concern with this. Like, I want what are they looking for? They're, they they want to see you, you know, they want to see you change. They want to see- no, I guess I'm just so like feverishly, like you have to understand, like even just me, like philosophically, personally, um, politically, like I'm just so like knee jerk. I hate authority. Like I would have been the first person kicked out of the military. They would have been like, do this. And I would have been like, fuck off. You're out. Um, So I, I just, I feel I have a responsibility to like really drill down on this. Like I get almost offended when I see like a Google ad and, and and then they know exactly what I want. And I know that I have to buy into it in order to, to function in the society. Um, yeah. And that kind of annoys me. Um, and, and I do see the benefits to some level of surveillance. And I'm sure that I have benefited from it in ways that I can't even see and I don't even know. Right. And that's like the other part of it. But I also believe that we do exist in this modern world where the vast majority, 99.9% of people have absolutely no idea how much their, their behaviors and their thoughts and their motivations are being tracked are being implemented into algorithms are being predicted are used as a decision-making process for so many other things and i i find that a little inherently unfair and so like while i do i do recognize the need for heavy surveillance in, in cannabis facilities for a lot of the reasons we both outlined and and i personally i want to see the legal market succeed and i believe in that and i i understand that kind of cutting off 
the supply to the black market is a big part of that and surveillance is a big part of that. But I do wonder about the implications of of how robust surveillance is in cannabis. Like, I I wonder about how that gets extrapolated outside. Um, You know, like, are you going to sell your tech to, you know, we've talked about this to other industries. um, And and how does that extrapolate into other to other areas? Um, And also, I'm wondering, do you at all sell to unlicensed operators? Are you just working with licensed operators? Because I know that surveillance is a big thing in the black market as well, obviously. So we know this. Well, I mean, we we've actually got. You know small, <laughs> we have a small hand, a handful of clients that, I mean, they're not in cannabis at all. Right. Anyone that's in cannabis, um, no, they they I would, they're all they're definitely all licensed. Um, the the question is kind of uh, it's kind of irrelevant in the sense that I think if they're selling illegally, they're definitely not potentially opting into surveillance. And then I think to the the premise of your point, um, I think that 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 will always be, uh, you know, uh, it's it's always going to be a debate, you know, that companies are always going to gather more information on us as a consumer, as a patient, as a whatever. And now usually the motives are always good. Could they be used uh, in in that data be used in a negative way? Certainly that I think that will always yeah. Do you really think the motives are always good? Always? Like that's your knee jerk? I curious about that. Yes, <laughs> yes, I do. I think you're taking a very stick it to the man approach right now. <laughs> I actually take that as a compliment. Thank you. <laughs> which which No, and thank you for indulging me. Like I, I find this fascinating and I, I I think some people listening will also find this fascinating. So yeah, I appreciate I'll, I'll you. I'll tell you what, we, we see so many people moving around that it's all just ridiculous and boring. And frankly, the screens start to give you a headache. It's I'm really sure the algorithms that are doing their job. And the only time we really have to pay attention and is when, is when shit's hitting the fan, there's a break in life is in danger or we're paying attention. If, if there's theft there. Right. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. But, but do you personally that, like we could debate eternally about, well, why do you need that info? And what are you going to do with that info right. across the board? We could always debate that. Do you, do you think about this? Like, just like in your personal time, you're smoking a joint, having some coffee, relaxing, just sitting around, enjoying the, the beautiful mountainscape behind you. <laughs> that definitely isn't a zoom background. Um, <laughs> do you, do you think about these questions philosophically? Like, is this something that weighs on your conscience, weighs on your mind? Like, are you examining the line of, you know, personal freedom versus, you know, the greater good? No. No, my brain is too analytical. I still think it's about protection. I think it's about safety. Okay. And you think that there's really not too much room to sort of explore there that, that at the, is it fair to say that at the end of the day, safeguards in place to use the data very irresponsibly other than it can be used to like follow you with an ad, like you said. And so as far as the security risk, um, what kind of security risk are we talking about and thinking about here in terms of cannabis companies? Like how many people are dying from break-ins? Like we keep saying that we're saving lives. Um, are lives really that much at risk? Yeah, yeah, they, they definitely are. So out of the over 600 clients, uh, 250 of which uh, have opted into uh, surveillance, uh, this is this is accumulation through the through the years of the last almost 10 years. Yeah. Um, yeah, there has been many none, none on our watch that have been killed. But uh, places that were were not being surveilled again, there was break-ins, there was a guard there, there was a shootout, there was life lost. 
There have been, um, I know, bud tenders, especially in California, some different areas, especially during transport, uh, where there has been some, sadly, tragically, some murder involved. And then yeah. there's some, been some really close calls. We've actually had some clients that were uh, sadly uh, held at gunpoint. Everything was deterred and, and the cops intervened and, and arrested everyone, but they were held at gunpoint. Uh, by Armalite rifles, by by ARs <laughs> that came very aggressively. So, we yeah, we're we're certain, especially when we make people very aware that hey, surveillance is in place. Uh, we put up we're sign crazy. We put up signage everywhere. Sure. And then you have the loudspeakers for the nighttime operations to deter people. Um, it's I, I'm certain that it has helped. And certainly across the board, different companies, uh, you know, different industries, it's, it's 100% saved lives for sure. No, and I appreciate your perspective and thanks for um, explaining that and kind of like being willing to tango a little bit more with me on that. Um, I have other questions for you. I know that we're sort of approaching the end of our conversation, but if you'll talk to me a little bit longer, I want to know about your personal consumption and, and have you actively, um, so do you actively use cannabis to, to treat your hypervigilance and, and your PTS symptoms? Not necessarily. So I've got mine under control quite a bit. Really, it's just through years of, of therapy. I talk a yeah. lot about it in my, my first book. Um, and uh, But I do use uh, recreationally. I've, I've helped notice that, and this is on the hemp side of the fence, the hemp-derived CBD that I use, which is daily. It helps with inflammation. So nothing mental there, really. It might be helping me mentally, uh, but, but I definitely see the benefit as an anti-inflammatory. That's what really got me into CBD. Uh, and got me wanting to to sell CBD, uh, but really, I would say from a recreational standpoint, yeah, I'm an occasional uh, user. It's it's not too often. It's usually very social. I'm definitely not a daily daily user at all. Um, I am 100% the type of guy that's the lightweight at the party and can <laughs> only take a couple hits and. God, when I was first introduced to the dabs, I'm like, what the hell? Oh, God. Ridiculousness <laughs> is this? Like, how high do you want to get exactly? Dude, I, I, I feel I the same. <sighs> I feel yeah. the same way. And, like, I am a daily user, and I'm a pretty heavy daily user by most standards. Um, I would say specifically among women, for sure. But, um, I dab occasionally, but it's very much like, it's like, it's like buying a bottle of champagne. Like it's a special occasion thing. Like I've got nowhere to go for hours. I'm going to be in this couch. I'm certainly not driving. I'm certainly not really interacting with that many other people because you can't. And yeah. it's, it's, I don't know. It's an interesting um, subsect of cannabis culture for me for that exact reason. It's just like, why do you need to be that high? And sometimes you do, and it's kind of fun. Right. But I, yeah. I sometimes, I, I mean, I know people who do it all the time and swear by it and like i just the, i know that there are no studies to support this because we haven't been able to study cannabis but it's like i just refuse to believe that blasting your body with 75 to 95 percent thc or you know is really helping yeah, anything right it, it doesn't feel good i mean it feels good to get that blasted every once in a while when i really just like want to get fucked up for a second like yeah, to be yeah, perfectly totally. honest I, I think you could relate it to uh um, every once in a while that's how i think could, about it you could relate it to uh this the same type of people that are at a party and they're drinking you know some people just want a cocktail they right. just want light beer and they only want a couple for the night and that that makes them happy 
But then you got, you know, you got the individual that comes in and wants to do shot, shot, yeah. shot, shot. You know, I think it's, I think you can. Or like a beer bong or a luge. Yeah, it, yeah, it is you can like think that. of cannabis very similar. Some people just want to go into orbit and they want to do it, you know, in the next <laughs> 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that, that that makes sense. No, but I agree. Dabbing is like, it's, it's a very special occasion for me. It's a, it's a bit much. So like, what's yeah. the deal with Colorado weed and, and, and versus California weed? I have my own opinions. I'm a little bit of an outdoor snob. Um, and so I very much, and I fully admit this freely admit this. I fetishize, I fetishize California outdoor weed. I just think it's like the Holy grail of everything. And, and I love it. And I, I just want everything, everyone to have it. Um, and yeah. so I'm a little less, um, I'm a little, I wouldn't say I'm like anti indoor by any means, but I am a little bit critical of it because you can control these factors. It's a little less romantic to me. I think that's why I'm cranky about it. And so like, what's your feeling on that? Like, do you have an outdoor indoor preference? Do you, Yeah. my understanding of the Colorado market is that it's heavily more indoor and, and what are your thoughts on that? And, and where, where can you find the best weed in your opinion? Oh gosh. I don't think it's necessarily, I know some people think saying the word strain is like becoming this derogatory thing. For it something. kind of is. I, know I don't, I don't quite get that. But then again, I'm not, you know, I'm not a grower myself. So I just, I just, yeah. listen. but I think it's become um, a little bit meaningless just because you can't always trace the genetics back. And so it, it just becomes like one person's growing one strain. It could mean something totally different from someone else who is supposedly growing the same strain. That's one right. of my understandings about it. And also that everything's going to hit everybody differently depending on your unique physiology. So I think that's why it's becoming kind of a dirty word. I think that you can find the best stuff uh, from places that I I would say, in my opinion, that are more, it's more pristine. To me, it's a lot about, uh, you know, I don't necessarily have a favorite place. A lot of times it's just location, like where the hell am I at and do I need to pick up some bud or whatever. Um, you know, Hey, oh, yeah, I know this place down the road anyways, or, or the, you know, maybe it's the nearest one to my home. Sure. Um, and then as far as indoor versus outdoor, it hasn't it been proven that the plant wants natural sunlight, like outdoor is always. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so I would I'm super biased, but yes, it has. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I, I would say that, I mean, I look at it from a scientific standpoint. I mean, that makes the most sense. I mean, that's you are very analytical. <laughs> What's yeah. your feeling? What do you feel that's in your heart all, of hearts? Gun to your head, wants. you're dead in five seconds. <laughs> yeah, that's what all that's what all plant life wants, anyway. So yeah, I would uh, I champion uh, the outdoor grows. Cool. And Colorado weed is it is it good nowadays? I'm obviously not traveling to Colorado these days, so I, I can't yeah. say I'm I'm smoking. Oh, yeah. Mainly yeah, California. We everything from our from our edibles, and then even outside of that box too. And you, our, we got we got amazing micro brews. Yeah, that's it's true. Denver and San Diego have that in common. We both have really big brewery cultures, um, craft brewery cultures, which I think is really cool. I've actually never been to Denver, which is kind of ridiculous um, as a well, cannabis yeah. reporter. And I sort of like had all the stuff lined up for 2020 to come check it out and dig into the weed stuff, obviously, but. Um, yeah. Then 2020 happened. And so here I am sitting on a concrete floor, zooming with people I'd rather be interviewing in person. So right. how is, right. how has COVID affected your business at all? Or has it, I guess it probably hasn't um, in a bad no, way, right? No, no, it's been hurtful. Yeah, no, it's been hurtful. In, oh, it has. In the consulting space. Oh yeah. Talk to almost any consulting company. Oh, cause you're the first thing to go, right? Marketing budgets are the first thing to be cut. Uh, 
well, we don't just do marketing. It's it's really across the board. It's just not having uh, not to. I mean, marijuana sales have, have gone up for sure, but it's it's the fear of the unknown economically, especially uh, in, the, in the investor space. Everything mm-hmm. is up and down. We we've got to crawl out of this year. We've got to get. But oh, and the and the elections. We don't know who's going to be in office. We don't know right. you know the new five states that are that are moving forward. Was that even going to pass? Fortunately, they did. What does that mean um, for you? The new five states is that is that a business opportunity? Oh hell yeah, we're all. Over are that. you are you you ready to rock on that? What what are yeah. you what are you doing? What are you looking towards? Uh, very intense, very hyper target marketing, uh, and uh, we'll pro- be providing the same host of services that we've been providing different states for license procurement from the get go, and trying to stick with clients all the way to exit. That's cool. And is there one state of the of the five that? Um, looks particularly ripe to you some that are maybe better ready to go than others that is more a friendlier than others no 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 because everyone's listening so i'd say they're all gonna be i would say that I'd say <laughs> arizona and new jersey um i am i'm looking at don't get me wrong this is not a bogus statement i'm looking at all of them of course but arizona and new jersey i will say are going to be the first to leap and they're going to leap very quickly that's my understanding too. I, I feel the same way. Yeah. Right. Right. And I think a lot of it comes down to the, the, the thriving economics in those States anyways, it's also the population of the state and users per capita. Yeah. I, that's sort of my understanding of it too, that of the, of the first to go. And also I, I it was, it was le- some, someone in government, I wish I could remember now, but on Twitter the other day said that, you know, even South Dakota, it was from South Dakota, you know, they, they, <laughs> I think it was a Senator or a Congressman or something. And he said, you know, even though South, uh, South Dakota is, is going to go legal, et cetera. They asked him, well, do you also then support a national legalization um, initiative? And he goes, no, we wouldn't support it as a state. It's <laughs> just like, dude, but <laughs> fuck like your state just voted to legalize it it's happening and you still wouldn't support a national bill it's just there's this disconnect in cannabis and and i guess before we go i'd like to hear like what your thoughts on are on eventual national legalization i i don't even know that we need to discuss whether or not it would be good for your business i feel like that's probably obvious um and and just like what your thoughts are on it and, and what you think is coming down the pike from what you've seen from an inside perspective yeah, no, I think uh, there's pros and cuts. People think that national legalization is just going to be excellent immediately. Not necessarily. When some doors open, other doors close. I think that national decriminalization and national descheduling uh, is going to be phenomenal. So, like, let's take the MORE Act, for example, which will, will it's not looking good that it's going to pass in, in the Senate uh, whenever it pops back up again. Uh, I think yeah, it in time. No, right, exactly. I think it's t- in time, uh, it's going to move forward. But we have to, if there's if there's national legalization, okay, but we have to remember that the country, the foundational elements here, all the way down to our constitution, is governed on the, yes, there's the law of the land, but you cannot infringe or take away upon the individualized governance from state to state to state. And every state has its own market, its own cannabis market, its own cultural dynamics behind that. So we don't want the law of the land to say what's going to be in place for all parties. California to Colorado to Michigan to New Jersey, those are different markets and there's some different rules there. Uh, And we want the states to be able to govern themselves individually. So I think that having a, a broadened law of the land, loosely regulated, very mild for legalization could be good. 
Um, I, but I think it opens up doors to some other challenges. I also think that it's a good thing the, the, the industry is maturing very, very quickly. Okay. It, we, we just, we see it, but it's important to not become an adult too fast. You know what I mean? Like you have to go through the adolescent sure. stage. You got to grow up. And we're doing that now. We're growing up and we're learning the pitfalls and the challenges and so on and so forth. I think that the maturity, albeit aggressive, uh, we don't want to go from 10 years old to being 25 and married and three with three kids. <laughs> There's so much growth that needs to come into play there. And I think that we're maturing at a very aggressive pace as it is. I agree so with that. There is a lot of problems. Yeah. Federal handcuffs taking off right away is like... Okay, that's that's very aggressive. I love I love descheduling and I love decriminalization for sure. I'm a, okay. I'm a huge fan of that, I, and I think that's the next step. And do you support um, like record expungement and clemency and um, um, you know getting people yes, out of jail? Except, and- in, except in some very few uh, scenarioed examples, yes. And what what would those instances be? I won't get into a political uh, debate. I would say 99.9% of the time. I think it just depends on if they were, if there was a lot of other spotty things on somebody's record and they were clearly dealing other things in addition to marijuana. Could the marijuana charges be dropped? Okay, sure. But, you know, you were also slinging a ton of heroin and, and there's some other nasty things on the record. Maybe you need to still stick around. Right. So that's where you draw the line is, is maybe other drugs and maybe larger scale trafficking and things that include violent crimes, I guess it would be safe to say. Yeah, certainly. I mean, just, just from a common sense standpoint, like if, if someone's incarcerated right now and it's just for marijuana, maybe it was for their own use and they were beyond that, whatever limit it ounce or ounces it may be in, in their, in their respective state, then cut them loose for sure. Uh, like just like the last prisoner project really pushes and advocates for, uh, but, uh, or if they were, if they were trafficking, um, I, I think it depends on, you know, just how bad was the trafficking most yeah. of the time I would say, I would say cut them loose. If, if it was, especially if it was just marijuana, there's no other violent crimes there. Cut them loose. Sure. That makes sense yeah. to me. Do, um, all right. I'm in favor of full legalization. I'm, I'm, I'm totally nuts and I want everyone out of jail and I want all drugs to be legal. <laughs> That's where I stand. But I, I'm, I'm always, there's so much nuance in this and I, I always really like to hear everyone else's perspective. So I, I appreciate you laying that out for me. Yeah. Um, and, and for everyone listening, because I think that um, it's a worthy discussion to be had, like at all levels, because there are so many different ways to like massage it and intersect with it. And I think my last question for you is that um, the uh, something that you brought up that was really interesting, just talking about how um, how every jurisdiction is different with their laws and requirements and their their consumption cultures and their growing cultures. Um, do you benefit? Does your benefit business benefit from um, things staying federalized and things staying localized in terms of states or municipalities versus federal legalization? Do you benefit from any arbitrage in those markets where you can kind of take advantage of like one culture versus another? And I don't mean take advantage necessarily in a negative way, just um, like you can provide value for the differences in those markets. We take it case by case. And when I say case by case, I'm not just talking client by client. I'm talking, uh, scenario by scenario, state by state, law by law. Right. Uh, and, and we adjust services. We adjust our, our offerings across the board. We adjust our investor intake, our investor advisory, 
all based on everything individually. Yeah, if the Morac goes through, hallelujah, that will adjust everything. Um, It'll make it standardized and easy for you to operate, right? Oh, certainly. Well, yeah. for everybody, not just not just us. Remember, I'm I'm ancillary. I'm non-plant touching. So totally. I I have to, like I say, champion and advocate uh, uh, for the plant touchers, uh, growers, and sellers. Um, it's really situationally dependent. You know, tomorrow's going to be a different day. Next month will be different. Next year, January first, with all, when yeah. all these all new laws take effect and they're official, and then uh, you know, two years, three years from now, everything. Uh, changes very rapidly. Like I said, that adolescence period, uh, and we take it all case by case, you know, like I said, law by law, scenario by scenario, we make adjustments. Right. So you can like offer it personalized solutions. And that's like, really, it sounds like where you're adding the most value, like you can sort of dig into a specific client's location and situation, all of those kinds of things. Yep. Do you like working in the cannabis industry? Is it is it exciting for you how difficult it is? Because my understanding is that from everyone is that it's a difficult space to be in, but ultimately one that's that's rewarding. And I'm curious what your experience in it has been and what your short, takeaway is. Short and sweet. Yeah, absolutely love it. Um, I will, I'll, I'll stay in it probably indefinitely. Um, I'm diversified a little bit. Uh, with regards to different investments, but principally uh, I'm very focused on cannabis. Um, I think it's very hard. I think it's tough, but I like that toughness. uh, And I like how we're, you know, we're pioneering and we're, and we're championing, you know, like my little girl who was two, uh, when she grows older, I I hope that she's proud of uh, the work that I've done and collectively with everyone, just, just trying to push forward uh, because, the crop in general, you know, hemp, marijuana, it's incredible. It's incredible. I agree with you. <laughs> I completely agree with that. And um, I really appreciate you taking the time and giving yeah. so much color and, and just sort of opening up your brain and, and your thought processes and your worldview. Um, I obviously find surveillance really fascinating. And so um, I, I definitely appreciate you willing to kind of like yeah. go in and dig in with me. So thanks for that. Yeah, and thank uh, you so much for having me. I hope you'll consider me uh, as a, as another can of bitch in the future. <laughs> no doubt, I always I always need people to talk about stuff, and I always need uh, I always need surveillance sources. So no, this was this was a pleasure. Really, I appreciate it. Thank you. You got it. Yeah, thank you. All right, until next time. Thanks for listening to Cannabitch on the U Podcast Network. Subscribe to Cannabitch on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and visit us on Instagram at Cannabitch Show. Until next time, stay green.